Um, I want to talk to you. We, we, we did the mission vision. Do you remember that? <laughs> hey, don't say it like you were bored, all right? Just perk it up a little bit. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, good. That's good. That's good. A lot better. Uh, I want to talk to you uh, over the next uh, few weeks about apostles and about uh, apostolic uh, ministry, what it is, in my opinion, what it isn't. And, um, and some of this, the beginning of this, of course, will be review, because we talked, if you'll remember, the first few weeks that you were here, we talked a little bit about apostles, and I, I don't know how much of that you remember, because I know sometimes we have to hear things over and over before we actually remember, especially if it's a new concept. But so some of this will be, um, will be re, you know, just a refresher, and then we're, we're going to add stuff to it, and I think we're going to uh, finish a lot of the end of this year from, from now till school's over, talking about five-fold ministry, apostles, the way to interact, and uh, developing apostleships and what that is. And you'll remember that um, this, part, this part I'm not going to do much repeat on because we spent the first about four or five weeks talking about moving from denomina- denominationalism to apostleships. Do you remember that? And then, and just for review, denominationalism is when we gather around, we gather around truth, okay, and then apostleships is when we rally around fathers, and we talked about the difference between rally around, what's, of course we care about truth, so to be, as you, as you repeat this message, one of the struggles that I have about our movement um, is that when people repeat the message, they sometimes use examples and emphasize things in a way that we didn't mean. So here's one of the emphasis that I just want to start out with. When you tell people that denominationalism is rallying around truth and that we're not denominational, you have to be really careful that they don't, that they don't come away with you don't care about the Bible, you don't think truth is important. Those are the kind of reactions that, that are they're on the web, they're, they're everywhere. People hear part of the message. And sometimes I can tell you, and you, you've experienced this, that I'll preach something, or even Bill will, any, anybody here, you, we'll, I'll share something with you in a one-hour session that you know is not in balance with the rest of what I taught you even. And you have to take that and put it in a right setting, right? It's the right word in the right setting. And so you, you can't take one session and say, well, this is what Bethel believes or Chris believes about this. You have to set it in, you have to, you have to put that word in the setting of what, all the things you've already heard. So sometimes when we're trying to emphasize something, sometimes we'll de-emphasize something else to make a point in the session. And people will walk away with, those guys don't care about truth. It's like, no, that's, we teach out of the Bible. We're still using it, you know, kind of important to us. And, you know, you can get on our website and see our, you know, our tenets of faith. You know, the, the Bible is the inherent word of God. We believe every word of it, da-da-da-da-da. And that's true. The point is that in, in, in apostleships, we, we value relationship, if you will, above justice. And so, um, and we value both. We value the word. We value relationships. We value justice. We value mercy. It's just, what are you going to, where, where's the yield sign at? So, um, 
So we talked a lot about that. Um, today, I want to, I wanna, so I want to move from that conversation, which is actually the beginning of these notes are all about moving from denominationalism to apostleships. I want to revisit the definition that I gave you about apostles, which you already heard in the beginning of the year, so that I can kind of take you to this next place. Is that okay? A little bit of review. So don't think I'm going to teach you the same things you learned the first few weeks in school, but I do have to revisit some of those things because I'm sitting here reading these notes, and I'm like, if you remembered what I taught you the first few weeks in school, this will make really good sense. If you didn't remember, it's going to make okay sense. So some of the things I'm just going to share with you again. I I shared this with you. The word apostle, um, which means sent one. Actually, if you just want to take the Greek word apostle, it means sent or sent one, depending on whose Greek linear version you read. Uh, But it, it actually means to be sent from a place to another place to reproduce in that in the place that you're sent to, what you were sent from, until the place you're sent to looks like the place you're sent from. All this you've heard already. And the word apostle is not in the Old Testament because the word was invented during that 400 years of, from my understanding at least, that 400 years from Malachi to Matthew's 400 years. The Catholics actually have some books in there, so they don't agree that it's 400 years of silence, but Protestants think it was 400 years of silence. I'm not smart enough to actually know that. I'm not educated enough in that area to know that. But, but um, apostles was a Greek idea that the Romans picked up. And they were going out, and the Romans were conquering territory. But you know, they were like Hitler. They wanted to take over the world. Most of the Roman imp- emperors were, their, one of their goals was to, you know, Romanize the whole world, to take over the the known world, and they were obviously doing it by force. And so one of the things that happened was, as they were taking territory, is they began to realize, and I honestly don't know enough about history to know if this happened over a period of 100 years or if it happened over a period of 10 years. I honestly don't know. But what what I do know is that as the Romans were conquering, what they found out is that the people that they were conquering, when they'd come back to those first cities that they conquered, they weren't, they weren't culturized. The people weren't behaving like Romans. That's where the whole adage, when you're in Rome, you do as the Romans do. And so the Romans uh, began to, they didn't, they didn't think up a new idea. They didn't reinvent the wheel. They captured this idea that the Greeks had. And the Greeks developed this idea of, of culturizing people, conquering and culturizing. And the, the Romans picked it up and said, okay, we're going to, take some of our Roman generals and we are going to call them apostles and they will be the head of the, if you will, the culturation project. So they will conquer, but they will also have with them musicians and, and politicians and, and, and artists and you know they, they will have with them an entourage of, we would probably in our day say seven mountain people. They will conquer, but they will have this entourage of seven mountain people with them so that as they conquer, they will culturize, so that the culture actually looks like Rome as they conquer. That, that concept uh, is an is, is interesting concept. But um, so, so the word apostle isn't used in the Old Testament, mostly because it wasn't invented in the, that day. And secondly, the concept was practiced by the Greeks, and so it wouldn't have been uh, in any of the old 
Old, Old Testament. And um, so by the time Jesus uh, you know, is born and, and arrives on the scene, of course we know that the Jews are being, they're, they're being ruled by the Romans. And so they, these apostles, these generals, would have been common. This was Jesus. So Jesus takes a secular world, a word that his disciples would have been familiar with, having lived under Roman, you know, Roman rule, Roman government, soldiers. Remember, Jesus told parables. Not necessarily. I don't know if they were actually parables. If if a soldier orders you to go one mile with him, go two, and, and so on and so forth. This was the this is the whole Roman ruling the Jews kind of attitude and atmosphere. And so Jesus, um, when he promotes his disciples, instead of calling them any, by any other religious word, which would have been the concept, you know, this is really interesting to me. I don't know if you, it matters much to you, but it would have been so easy for Jesus to say, you are my prophets, you are my 12 prophets, or you are my patriarchs. They had 12 apostles, 12 patriarchs, or you are my priests. You remember there was a whole Levitical priesthood that was actually written about in the book of Leviticus and the role of the priest. The, there was the sons of the prophets that came out from Samuel, actually began with Eli, all the way at least to e- Elisha that we know about. There was, in other words, what I'm getting at is there was pre-established leadership already in the religious culture. I think this is interesting from a couple of views. First of all, I never thought of this till just this minute, not that it's heavy, but it's interesting that Jesus was okay with calling somebody by a secular name as long as it described what he needed them to do. In our world, we might say, um, okay, you are my uh, CFO. You're my CEO. You're my, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like it, wasn't, it was okay with Jesus to borrow a secular name because it meant something. Uh, let me, I'll, okay, let me put it this way. When Jacob fell asleep at, at, in the city of Lutz, and he laid his head on a rock, and he had a dream, you remember this? The angels ascend and descend on what? A ladder. Do you think that angels use ladders? No, I don't think angels use ladders. <laughs> Follow me. Angels don't use ladders, but why did Jacob see them on a ladder? They didn't have elevators. They didn't have planes. They didn't. I mean, the, you, have, you have people without wings, which maybe cherubim have wings, whatever. But my deal is, is that he spoke to Jacob in terms that Jacob could understand. Do you think you could ever get to heaven on a ladder? No, the concept's ridiculous. But the point is, is that's how Jacob thought. Because of where, where he lived, in the age he lived in. Are, are you following me? So he sees angels on a ladder, ascending and descending. My point is, God will speak to you in any language that he needs to. He's not human. His first language isn't English, Spanish, or whatever place you come from. And he's able to bridge. He just said that? It's so good to know that he's getting it right. So, so did he talk about the angel and all that stuff too? Oh, okay, well, that's another rev that's deeper. <laughs> Second generation revelation is what I'd say. 
Must be stuck on that old stuff, huh? I'm giving you the... All joking. It's all joking. Um, but my point is, is that God is able to speak to you in the language that you can hear best. So, so now I'm going to borrow that concept and say, Jesus takes his disciples, he names them apostles. It's not a spiritual name. It's not a... It's not a it's, not, um, it's a secular word, but it describes, it, it describes in, in terms that they would understand, this is what I need you to be. I am, are, you, are you with me? And so because they understand the word, it, it, it'd be just like Jesus wanted you over the church, and he, and he didn't want you to be a pastor, he didn't want you to be an apostle, he didn't, but he's like, you know what, CEO really that's really what I want. Listen, the role I want you to play is CEO. That's the role I want you to play for this church. There, you could, you know, if that, that's a well-defined role in our cultures now, right? So if Jesus called you CEO or CFO, chief financial officer, they would describe you something that you could go do a little research and you're like, okay, this is what Jesus wants me to do. Are you following me? In the same way, when he calls them apostles, we're like, what's an apostle? But that wouldn't have been true in their culture. When he called them apostles, they wouldn't be like, well, what's an apostle? What's apostolic? What's... They would have known because they're living among the Romans, and they are experiencing people conquering and trying to culturize them. So when Jesus goes, you know that thing you hate? You know how they're always trying to get you to be Romans? You know all of that? You are my apostles. And he begins to teach them, and then he begins to if you will, apostle them. He sent them out. Now, just, just for the sake of you knowing that I'm not completely ignorant, everywhere you see the word sent in the New Testament, there may be some exceptions. I haven't checked every word. But most every place you see the word sent, it is the root word for the word apostle. So you can make something say something it's not. Are you, are you following me? But... But it is true that it seems that when Jesus sent them out, because I'm saying it seems true, because he is definitely calling them apostles, which means sent one, and in that context, he's sending them out. So I would, I would, I would argue that he is apostling them, that he is commissioning them as apostles, not just as disciples or as ministers, but he's sending them out to conquer and culturize. Now, what are they conquering? I, I put a little note on my Facebook this week. I got mostly re good reviews, which is good. But, but um, I, and I said, we need to become Holy Spirit terrorist training centers. Churches need to become Holy Spirit terrorist training centers. And one guy wrote, oh, great, now we're identifying with the terrorist. I get where he's coming from, because he, all he got was one line from me. But how many know that we are called to be violent men taking the kingdom by force, and we are called to destroy the works of the devil? And it is true that we are called to be terrorists to the terror of the devil. Not people. We're not terrorizing people. Some people do terrorize people, but that's not us, because we are Christians. <laughs> so if you'll turn to John's chapter 6, we're going to begin a little bit. Are we going to get a hand about mission and vision? Oh, I need to finish that. I'm just going to have to send it to you unedited because I haven't had time to do it. 
Did we finish the culture of reward? We did it? Well, we'll we did. Yeah, some people weren't listening. You should have been holding it. Instead of going out when I was making my great point. Most of you didn't get that. Anyway, John 6.38. This is Jesus saying this. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will. Everybody say, not to do my own will. But the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he's given to me, I will, not lose, I will lose nothing, and I'll raise it up in the last day. Um, this is a great just example of Jesus saying, and there's many accounts of this, I didn't come to do my will. Now, how many of you think that Jesus had a different will than the Father? How many of you think that Jesus is saying, listen, in fact, uh, I don't know if it's in this verse. I'd have to look up the context, and I, have, I haven't done that. But um, in one place, he says to the disciples, I think it is in John 36, actually. Let me look it up real quick. Um, he says to the disciples, let's see. I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a takeoff from this verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given to me, I lose nothing, but I raise them up on the last day. I think it's uh, clearer in another verse in, in Luke. But is Jesus saying, I didn't come to do my will, I came to do my Father's will. And I didn't lose any of you, any of you disciples. Remember, this is not spoken to the crowds. This is the 12 disciples. I didn't lose any of you because, the Father, because he who sent me didn't want me to. Do you think he's saying, listen, I didn't come to do my will, I came to do the Father's will. Listen, if I had my way, a bunch of you would be gone. <laughs> but because I didn't do my will, I did my Father's will, I kept all of you. And I think it's in the book of Luke, and he, he says, except for the one who was predetermined. But are you, do you think, just think through this with me. Is he saying to his disciples, my will and the Father's will are different? I wanted to do a completely different thing. Listen, we got up there talking, the three of us, and, uh, and the father said, I think you should go die for them. And I said, no way. Let's send the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I mean, you know, do you think that's kind of like, can you picture that? It's like, the father's like, well, Jesus, you should go down there and, and be crucified. And, and, you know, Jesus is like, no, 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 send the Holy Spirit be crucified. And the Holy Spirit's like, oh, you ain't sending me down there. I'll go after you're dead. I'll go down there and help him if you want, but that's going to be it. <laughs> I mean, I mean can, do, you, do you think that Jesus is trying to say, I had a completely different idea. I mean, listen, if, if I came in here and said, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm in here teaching you today. It's not my, it wasn't my idea. It was Bill's. The connotation is I have a different one. Right? Would it be? Normally, if someone says to you, listen, I bought these shoes for you. It wasn't my idea. It was Joe's. You're like, do you not like the shoes or you didn't want to spend the money? If someone makes a point to tell you that they did this, but it wasn't really their idea, there's usually a reason. I know you're going like, okay, what are you saying? Are you saying Jesus didn't want to come and die for us when the Father made him? No, no, actually what I'm saying is that Jesus is demonstrating apostolic authority 
that the reason he's telling you, I didn't come to do my will, but I came to do the Father's, I don't think he's saying my will is different than the Father's. I think he's saying my will is separate from the Father's. There's a difference. I think he's trying to teach us what it's like to be in submission to someone else's mission and teach us how to live under authority. In other words, he's not saying, I didn't want to do this, but the Father made me. He's saying, the Father sent me. I am sent. I am a man under authority. Now, you know what? Wait a second. Where are you getting scripture like that? How do you, how do you, are you, where, where's that concept coming from? It's, it's actually coming from this 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry. It's coming from the verse in, um, in, in Matthew 5, 8, 5. You want to turn there? And it's this story, as you know well, it's the story of centurion. Jesus entered the Capernaum and a centurion. Everybody say centurion. Now, this is interesting. A centurion, a, a man over 100 people, a centurion, a, a Roman, says to him, he was employing him, saying, Lord, my servant's lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I've come, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. Everybody say, under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. Do this, and he does it. In other words, he's saying to Jesus, you, you don't, we did this too already. You don't have to come to my house because I can see. Everybody say see. see. I can see you're a man under authority. See, I'm a man under authority. I'm a man under authority. And that means I, because I'm a man under authority, I have people under me. How many know you can only have as much authority as you submit to? I'm a man under authority. I'm a man under authority, therefore I have authority. I say to those under me, under me, do this, and they do it. Why? Because I'm under authority, therefore I have authority. And Jesus, you know, makes a statement, as you well know, this is pretty popular verses. He's like, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I shared this with you before. Like, this guy understands quantum physics He's in the first century. He understands that Jesus doesn't have to actually be physically present in a place to demonstrate the power of God because something's happening in a realm that he doesn't understand, but he has experienced. Right? What scientists are learning today, the centurion knew. Like, you can just be right here, and you can make my servant well over there. You just have to give your word. It will carry over there. Something's happening in the invisible realm, he understands, maybe he doesn't know it's angels, but he knows you're a man under authority. Okay, I see that you're a man under authority. And because you're under authority, like I'm under authority, you have people under you. I can't see them. Are you with me? I can't see them, but I can see the result. You don't have to come to my house. Why? You're a man under authority. What does that have to do with you not coming to my house? Because I understand you have authority because you're under authority. Therefore, when you speak the word, I speak the word. To, I say to this one, go. I say, you, soldier, go. He goes. Why does he go? 
because I'm under Caesar's authority. All of Caesar's army is with me. So when I say go, go, now my servant needs to be healed. When you say be healed, somebody that I can't see goes out and does your will. How do I know that? Because somebody does my will. And I'm a centurion and you're a king. Are you following me? But how does, he, how does he reconcile it in his head? I'm a man under authority, and therefore I have people under me. Listen, how could you possibly be a, a man with authority? And this is centurion speaking, his thinking. How can you possibly a man, be a man with authority without being a man under authority? And therefore, if you're a man of authority, then that means that people are authored. Authority. You're authoring someone's book. Somebody is listening to you. You don't have to come to my house. Somebody will listen to you that is under you that will carry out your will. So I'd like to, I'd like to suggest that when Jesus said, I didn't come to do my will, but I came to do the will of my Father, that he's not saying my will is different. No, he's not saying I have... Yeah, he's not saying my will is, is, is different than the Father's. He's just saying that I have a will and the Father has a will and I'm under the Father's will. I'm under authority. I'm a man under authority. And he's, demonstrate, he's demonstrating through his sonship, the son of manship, if you will, what it's like to actually carry authority in the kingdom. I have authority because I'm doing the Father's will. Is it different than mine? No. So why did you mention it? So you'll know why the angels are listening to me. Because I'm a man under authority. Whose authority are you under, Jesus? The Father sent me. He didn't send me to do my will. He sent me to do his. Is it different? That's not the point. The point is, I'm telling you how to get authority. Are you with me? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul writes this, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, everybody say master builder, I laid a foundation, everybody say foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must build a care carefully according to, I'm sorry, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. Okay, he's a master builder, and he built, he laid a foundation. Got it? I'm a master builder. I laid a foundation. Who is the master builder? Come on, you're, you're, you're smart. In this scripture, who is the master builder? I understand, I see it, too broad of a question. From this, from, uh, in the context of 1 Corinthians, who's the master builder? Paul, okay. I'm the master builder. I laid a foundation. The word master builder in the Greek is the word architectron. I'm sorry, probably, so those of you who know Greek, I probably slaughtered the word. But I do know this. The word master builder is our English word architect. I'm the architect. And I laid the foundation. You following me? Others built on it. Okay, we're talking about apostles. What do apostles have? The architectron. They are the architects. They have, they, who, in, in, in Paul's illustration as the architect, who would be, who would be the owner? He's the master builder, the contractor. Who would be the owner? God. So God's the owner, and he has given Paul an architectural plan. He has the architectural plan, 
And he says, I'm an, I laid the foundation. Now, you could take this many ways. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that the, 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 the foundation of the church is apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. I think it's, uh, is it Ephesians 3? Uh, it says, so Paul, so Paul says in, in the book of Ephesians that the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What are they? They're the what? Are you guys bored? I'm so sorry if this is boring. I'm hoping it'll get more interesting as we go on. They're the what? Foundation. Okay, if you want to be a foundation, that means you're going to be stepped on. You're going to be stepped on. I want to be an apostle. Okay, people are going to step on you. In fact, Paul said it this way. He said, we became weak so you could become strong. We became poor so you could become rich. We were slaves so you could become kings. And then he said, you're already kings. In other words, he's saying, I laid down my life. We apostles, we laid down our lives so that you could build on our foundation." Doesn't sound too glamorous. Doesn't sound too exciting. So it's like, I have an apostolic ministry. Okay, be ready to lay a foundation that others stand on. Because if you want to be great in the kingdom, how many of you love to be great? I, I, I want to be great, so that'll make more hands raised. <laughs> then you become the servant of who? A few. Oh, you become the servant of all. Jesus said, hey, you guys are arguing over who's the greatest. Let's solve this. Who wants to be great here? All 12. Awesome. I want you to be great too. This is how you're going to do it. Be the servant of all. So Jesus wants you to be great too. He just The way to greatness is, is to, to go all the way down to the top. Are you following me? And so the apostles are architects. They have this, it sounds so glamorous. We have this architectural plan. And what do, what do apostles carry that nobody else carries? This is my opinion. This is not necessarily the opinion of this house or our sponsors. <laughs> Did you get that? I believe that apostles carry the apostolic mission that people come into submission to and they get commissioned. I believe that's the difference between apostles and everything else. So the apostles, we talked about this. Apostles are fathers, mothers, the role of father, not the gender. They are fathers. They do miracles. Paul said, we did miracles among you, the signs of a true apostle, and so on and so forth. But the one thing that nobody else carries, that apostles carry, are the architectural plans for their realm. They carry these plans that people come into submission to the mission. Does it mean that they do greater works than anybody else? I don't think so. Does it mean they have greater revelation than anybody else? No. But they have revelation over these architectural plans. They have the plan for whatever realm they're in, and people come into submission to that mission. Instead of went, they get sent. And I hope to convince you in the next few minutes that that's true. It's going to get better. So, in simple terms, the, to me, the, the and I, I remember sharing this with you, I'm sorry, I just remember. But in simple terms, it's like a contractor who, ha, who works for an owner, who works out the architectural plan with the owner, 
and then doesn't do all the work. He subcontracts. He may subcontract the whole house out or the whole office building or this, this whole church, this whole school building we're going to build. He may subcontract the whole thing out. But he has authority because he's in relationship with the owner and they have agreed upon plans. Following me? Okay. How about this one? John 15, 16. <laughs> you know, like this. This is going to get controversial. This is going to get overemphasized in our culture for a few minutes. It will come into balance through independent spirits. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Uh, let's read Romans 10, 13. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then will they call on him who they've not believed? And how will they believe in him who they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Isn't that interesting? How will they preach if they're not sent? Jesus got his disciples around, and again, this is uh, John 15 is not, uh, uh, not preached to the crowds. It's not, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. This is preached to his disciples, which I think is pretty important. Who's the audience? Who's the target audience? And Jesus said, hey, you guys, you didn't choose me. <laughs> you think you did. I chose you. Okay, here's a little emphasis that we're not living out. Maybe we never will in my lifetime. I think that apostles have authority to choose you. Now, I know the other side of that sounds like control. But it's interesting to me that if you join the army or McDonald's, you go to work for McDonald's or Burger King, that when you come to work, you do what's asked of you for money. If you become a soldier in an army, you don't do what you want to do. You do what you're told to do. I said this would be overemphasized. The pain will only be there for a few minutes. We'll move out of this part. <laughs> I planned it into the early part of the message. I'm simply saying, how could you, how could you win a war with not, without having people who would listen to you? You know, I don't know what it's like in some of your countries, but if you go AWALT, absent without leave, you get court-martialed, not for just disobeying an order, for not showing up in our army. Why? Because we're trying to defeat an enemy. It's important that you know the rules. If you don't show up to boot camp, you can be court-martialed. You don't do what's asked of you. I know this isn't your, like, I, you don't, I, don't give me that look. You're like, this is the 21st century. Come in, pops. <laughs> it's a new world. A world of freedom. Jesus set me free from all the stuff you're talking about. I know we'll get there in a few minutes. We'll, we'll let you go again. But I just want to detain you for a few minutes. Is it possible that somebody that has flesh and blood who doesn't pay you could have authority over you. 
I don't know too many people that would go to work and not expect to do what their boss asked them to. I don't know anybody who would go in the military. I'm sure there are people but who would go in the military and say, hey, hey, you know, I'm not going to march two miles. I don't feel like it today. I mean, you can't even stay in school and not do what the instructor asks you to do. It is so, the, the, the concept is so well developed in everything outside of the spirit, of spiritual atmosphere that it's, it's, it's troubling to me how defensive people will be over the fact that somebody who has flesh and blood could have authority over them in Christ, but they will go to work for somebody who doesn't know God. And do everything that's asked of them within, obviously, won't steal from them or kill or something, but everything that's asked for them within reason and not blink an eye for money. I'm smiling so you can take it easier. (laughs) And yet, we, our idea of I just, I, I'm just, I'm rant, I know I'm ranting. I understand that. I, I see it in your faces. <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to end like this, so you'll feel better before it's, like, we'll give you something for the pain. I, I'm struggling with modern-day concept of church, which seems to be growing more independent by the hour where nobody feels like anybody who has flesh and blood has any say into what they do in their life. And it's like the Lord is my shepherd. I understand all this, that the Lord is your shepherd. I understand there's a balance to everything I'm about to say. I understand that there's abuse of authority. I understand there's manipulation. I understand there's a religious spirit that wants to control you. I understand there's a devil out there that looks that takes on flesh. I understand Rosemary's baby. I understand all of that stuff. <laughs> I know about Jim Jones, I know about the Kool-Aid, I know about the, the flying saucers that in San Francisco, I know about all of that stuff. I just think that that has been so overplayed that in reaction, and remember we talked about reaction in lots of different modes, when I react to something, I typically, I, typically what I build is worse than what I reacted to. And I, I understand that we don't, nobody wants to be controlled, and we talked about how to lead people for, for what, two months, three months, about capturing a vision, and not, not driving people, and all of that. In the midst, if you could put this in the context of everything you've already learned, there is something about being able to be told what to do by someone that you've given that place in your life. There's something about being able to be, hey, I need you over here. And you respond out of respect, not because they're paying you. And that you give to somebody in your life, or somebody's, some people, or someone in your life, spiritually, the kind of respect that money would buy. Did you hear what I just said? That you give somebody the kind of respect that money would buy without the money. And the way that, you, that, that all of your argument about nobody is in charge of me, Jesus is my shepherd, no one tells me what to do, that if you would take all those concepts that you practiced in church and you superimpose them over any job, any educational system, any military system, any other system where they're trying to accomplish a task, 
and get something done. I defy you to use that reasoning anywhere else and make it work. Or nearly anywhere else. I don't know someone's going to write me, oh, I'm an artist. Well, whatever. That's why you're broke. I have a hot dog stand. You know, we, we were driving by, uh, um, uh, and by the way, I'm not opposed to any of this. I, I, it's just a great example. You know, a guy has a hot dog stand in the middle of nowhere. Yesterday, we were drive, Kathy and I were driving. She's like, that guy has a hot dog stand right out here in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, that's a guy who wants to be independent really bad. <laughs> like, I don't want to have anyone tell me what to do. It's like, okay, here's your territory. Sell 20 hot dogs a day, you know? It's great, though. It's better than being on welfare. But if I'm on welfare, then I have to keep rules, too. Because they make me fill out these forms and tell me how much money I'm going to get. It's like, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to give them a hot dog stand just, or go under the bridge. But then I have to wait for people to feed me. And they'll tell me what to do, too. I'll tell you, this is, again, my opinion, not the opinion of our sponsors. Globally, I think the church is, is like a rebel with no cause. People do what they want to do, wherever they want to do it. They plant churches. They, they, nobody sent them. They're not connected to anybody. You know, they compete with the guy across the street who did the same thing, and, and they're all trying to bring the gospel, and it's a kingdom divided, and they wonder why nothing ever happens. In the name of Jesus. You put a, you know, put a Jesus bumper sticker on your church van and call it a ministry. And my question is, do the angels recognize your authority? That's my question. Well, I'm a Christian. I didn't ask you if you were a Christian. I asked you if you were sent or if you went. I'm asking you, in the world that a few people see, is anyone helping you? Do you have angel help? Well, I do. I'm a son of God. Okay. Maybe that's all it takes. Well, that's what Bill said. Okay, well, then Bill's right. Whatever Bill said is right. This is what I think. And Bill does agree with me, by the way. See, I think you can go out and start your own business. Well, I know that's true. Most any place in the world. In... Um, in Reading, you get a $75 uh, business license, and you're in business. You can just pay $75, you do that once a year, and you have a business. Pretty amazing. And if you want to collect tax, any, any kind of tax money, you just go to the State Board of Equalization, they give you a number. This number starts with 666, and you can <laughs> collect tax money and run the scanner over people's foreheads. <laughs> All of that part was a joke. Okay. You can start a business if you want to. Pretty much, and I think in pretty, you know, most countries that aren't communist countries, you can start a business wherever you want. But you can't start your own police department. I mean, you could get, you know, a black and white car and put a cherry on the top, get a siren. You can graduate top of your class at the police academy. Get yourself an education. 
get the same, go down to the uniform company, get the same, you know, police outfit, and get buy the same gun. But if you pull anybody over, you have false authority. Well, I graduated. I hate crime. I know you hate crime. But I, 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 I graduated top of my class. I understand that. But until somebody sent you, you have no authority. You pull anybody over, it's illegal. It's called, I'm a vigilante. You can have all the same core values as a police officer, but you have no authority. Why? Because you're not under anybody's authority. Nobody chose you. I didn't get that part. I worked it in pretty well, I thought. I can graduate to top my class. I can be the most gifted person in this room. I can prophesy, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. But you didn't choose you. Jesus said, I chose you. Speaking to his 12 disciples, this is, this is, this is a personal message to his 12 disciples. And if you think about it, he's not saying, I didn't choose you like all y'all who received Jesus, received me to go to heaven. He's talking to them. And he's saying, listen, do you remember this, Peter? You were over there and I chose you. I said, you follow me. You didn't say, can I follow you? I said, you follow me. Andrew, come follow me. I prayed all night before I chose you. You didn't choose me. Oh, I wanted to come. Yes, maybe you wanted to come, but I'm the one who actually gave you permission to come. I wanted to be a cop. Awesome. Did you get a job? No, don't pull anybody over. The desire doesn't give you authority. Acts 19, verse 11. Would you turn there? God was, God was performing extraordinary, everybody say extraordinary, <laughs> miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and diseases left, and evil spirits went out. But also some of the ex Jewish exorcists who went out from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying saying to the evil spirits, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, I know about Paul, but who are you? I recognize Jesus, I know about Paul. Say this, I recognize Jesus. I, recognize Jesus. I know about Paul. Know about this the evil spirit said this. The evil spirit said, I recognize Jesus. I've heard about Paul. But who are you? And the man in whom had the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them, and all of them, I'm sorry, subdued them all. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them, and they fled out of the house naked and wounded. <laughs> I, I, I had that half of me, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> I was trained by the sons of Sceva, but that's another story that will get us off track right now. No, no. No, no. I'm staying on track. You're not going to get me off right now. I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul. <laughs> oh, oh. 
I told you my story. I told you my first, told you my first one. I told you, man, rip my clothes. Remember I told you that? I did tell you that story. Oh, I, I, I have 10 minutes. I want to finish with the concept. I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul. But who the heck are you? That's the story. Right there. That's the story. I'll tell you the story, but you have to let me finish this concept. I'll finish with the story. I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul. But who are you? And here's, here's where I'm going, my point. It's important to be known in hell. It's important to be known in hell. I'm going to give you one more, and I'll, I'll finish with the story, okay? In 1 Corinthians, well, let's just do this so that I can have time to tell the story. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, you can write down this verse. Jesus writes, tells John, the Apostle John, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then verse, chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven lampstands, says this, I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. Let me just, let me, let's just stop there. To the angel, everybody say this. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. Okay. Who did John the apostle write a letter to? In the, when he wrote to the seven churches? He did not write to seven churches. He wrote to the angel of seven churches. He wrote to seven angels in seven churches. He did not write to men. Where did he get what to write? In this context. Maybe I'll say it simpler. Where did John get the idea of what to write to each angel. Jesus told him. Specifically, Jesus is standing before him, and he said, write these words. Are you with me? Follow me. Jesus has a mission. Who does he give it to? Does he give it to the angels? He gives it to who? John. And who does John give it to? The angels. Here's my point. The sons of Sceva said, I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul but I don't know you. That's the demonic realm. I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul, but I don't know who you are. The angels, Jesus tells John, write seven letters to seven angels of seven churches, and I'll tell you what to say. It's an apostolic message delivered from Jesus to the apostle, from the apostle to the angels, and the angels carry out the apostolic mission. My question is, are you known in hell and respected in heaven? That's my message. That's what I'm asking you. What does it mean to be under an apostolic mantle? It means that you are on an angelic mission 
You have, you have, you're on an apostolic mission that has angelic help because you've come into submission to the apostolic mission, and therefore you've been commissioned. And hell knows you. I know, I've heard about Paul. I know about Paul. I recognize Jesus. But I don't know who you are. And this is my opinion. I think when we move from denominationalism to apostleships, that we transferred the way we get authority. In other words, the way people get authority in the kingdom is different in this new epic season than it was in the old epic season. In the old epic season, you went to seminary, you got a degree. Was it God's idea? No, it wasn't God's idea. That was not the way God trained people. Listen, nothing wrong with seminary. That's not my point. Nothing wrong with education. That's not my point. I'm saying the way people got commissioned in denominationalism is through educationally derived, right? Educationally derived authority. They went, they got a degree, and what I'm getting at is this. God honored man's way, and he sent angelic help with people who went through this process to become spiritual leaders, even though it wasn't his process. You won't ever find that process in the Bible. Are you with me? But with this transition comes a different way that the angels are assigned to realms. And I think when we move from denominationalism to apostleships, it no longer is it gift-based authority, which causes the angels to follow you. But I think it's determined by who you're in submission to, which angels help you. If you're at Ephesus... The angels that are helping you are the angels assigned to Ephesus. If you, if you go over to Philippi, the angel at Philippi who has a mission, and how many of you understand that these are, probably, these are probably like archangels, or these are like principalities over a region who probably have angels under them. Are you with me? And when you come into submission to that region, those regional angels or those angels assigned to that mission or like, if you will, when Daniel prayed, this is, we'll review some of this, but when Daniel prayed and, he, and the angel Michael came to him and said, I came to you the day you prayed, but I encountered the prince of Persia. He's not talking about a man, he's talking about a demon. And what happened? He, he said, but, and he detained me until I called for help. And what I'm getting at is this, it's like, if you want, in my opinion, if you want to have powerful ministry, you need to find authority. And I think you only get authority by submitting to authority. I think I told you this story, so as soon as I start to tell you it, it's going to be like a song you heard before. I didn't tell you a story about my friend Gary. Wow, I can't even believe that. I, I had my... my I led this guy to the Lord, I think. His name was Gary. And uh, Gary was uh, homosexual. I, I had only, this was many, many years ago. And there wasn't, uh, there, I, w- I won't say there wasn't a lot of homosexuals, but nobody was, very few people were coming out of the closet. And so I led this guy to the Lord. And through discipling him for several months, I found out that he, quote, had an attraction to men and liked to have sex with men which he didn't even call himself homosexual. He just said that was part of what I was discipling of. So I met my first person that I'd ever actually met, that I actually knew, 
who was, quote, homosexual. And, um, and so I discipled Gary, you know, just to let, give you a little background, like in one year, Gary was in four car accidents in which every car was completely and totally totaled, smashed to bits, and Gary would walk out of the car, and he would yell at God and say, I hate your guts, I hate your son, and then that day he'd get in a car accident and totally be saved. Like, totally safe, like not a scratch on him. This was like, we did this for years. And Gary wasn't really the sharpest knife in the drawer. He worked for me one time as a, as a he, was a, uh, he cleaned parts in one of our shops just part-time when he was in high school. And one day he came in, to, and I was underneath the, the car and, and, you know, working on a car. And, and Gary comes in, and Gary's talking the whole time. It's, he's like, you ever have someone who talks so much you just don't even listen to them? It just becomes background noise. What, from the time Gary would walk in the shop to the time you'd leave, he would talk constantly. And I'd be, uh-huh, mm-hmm, okay, uh-huh. And, and he'd be cleaning parts, and you know, da 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 uh-huh, whatever, uh-huh. So he's, so he's cleaning parts one day, and he's like, and, and he's talking to me, and I'm like half listening, and he goes, well, this puff corn, this stuff, terrible. It doesn't taste like anything. I'm not even listening to him. And about 15 minutes later, he goes, man, I ate about half this box of puff corn. And then I thought, we don't have puff corn. So I rolled out from underneath the car, and I looked, and Gary is eating the packing peanuts, <laughs> styrofoam packing peanuts. He thinks it's popcorn. The next day, he turns completely black. It's poisonous. That'll work for two weeks. Anyway, so that's Gary. So, so when, I went to work, when, I, when I started my own, my, my first business was a service station, and I I was working in a service station, and we were really busy, and, and, and I mean, like, we have like six mechanics, and Gary comes in, and Gary, you know, I already told you, Gary's like, <laughs> so he walks in, and he's in a panic, which that's not, that's not unusual for Gary, he lives in a panic, and so he's in a panic, and he's like, and he, and he comes in, and I'm really busy, and there's customers all over, and guys running everywhere, and we're running gas pumps too, and Gary comes in, and he goes, you gotta pray for me, you gotta pray for me, I'm like, no, I can't right now, dude, I'm busy, oh, man, you gotta pray for me, something's trying to kill me. I go, dude, I can't pray for you right now. Just, I just need you just like, just, just pray, just peace for me. Just. I said, okay, okay, listen, listen. I'm going to pray for you one minute. That's all I need. So we go in the back room. This, we, we had this back room that's like, um, maybe it's like about six feet wide. And it's maybe like 10 feet long. And there's a compressor in there. And it's lined with shelves from the floor to the ceiling on both sides. It's got air filters on one side. And it's got... Uh, uh, um, air filters on one side and oil filters on the other side. And so there's only about this much room in there. So I'm going to just give Gary a token prayer. I close the door. I put my hands on his chest. And I'm going to say, in Jesus' name, I release peace over you. I go, when I, as soon as I said, in Jesus' name, he grabs me. You haven't heard this? He grabs me. He starts choking me. And he's like, and, and I'm like, in Jesus, I'm, now he's got me right here. And I, I'm like, in Jesus' name. <laughs> the blood of Jesus sets me free. The blood of Jesus sets you free. Because that's what I was told to say. The blood of Jesus sets me free. The judge blood. And he's choking me. And this thing is talking out of his stomach. And it says, I'm going to kill you. I've come to kill you. And I'm like, the blood of Jesus sets me free. <laughs> and he's strangling me in this thing. I'm going to kill your children. I'm going to rape your wife. And I'm like, the blood of Jesus sets me free. The blood of Jesus sets me free. 
So that, I do that for, I don't know how long, it seemed like forever. So that wasn't working, so I grabbed him by the throat and I start choking him. <laughs> I'm choking him, he's choking me, and he gets, and he's like, he's not, he's only this big, and he's, he's, and he's he, but he's super, he becomes super strong. And he's like throwing me like a rag doll, and he grabs me, and he's, he's like, let's go my neck for a minute, and he grabs me, and rips my shirt off, and he's, he's clawing, and he's biting, and scratching, and things clawing, and he, and, and so I have him by the neck, and I'm like letting him go. And I, I'm still saying, the blood of Jesus, I'm never ready. And we're, and so he throws me against the wall, and we land on the floor, and all the air filters, and the, the shelves just like dominoes, they just go, boom. And all the oil filters and air filters land on top of us. So we're under this pile. And I still have him by the throat. And he has me by the throat. He's ripped my shirt off. And he's bit me on the neck and scratched me all over my face. And, and I'm like, in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, set you free. <laughs> we literally, so my, my manager, who's a Christian, who's a pretty big guy, he's, he, he hears this all this commotion. And he forces the door open because the air filters and oil filters are in front of the door. And he forces the door open. And I stick my, I hear him. So I take my name off, my hand off of Gary's neck, and I, I put it up through the oil filters like, I'm down under here, you know. He goes, oh, it looks like you got it handled, and he closed the door. <laughs> like five minutes goes by. We're wrestling around. Do you let Jesus set you free? And finally, just, just, Instantly, he goes, I mean, instantly after all this wrestling, <laughs> maybe I should say, and suddenly, he goes, oh, it left. <laughs> just exactly how it happened. It left, and he, he stands up, you know, pushes the oil, the filters, stands up, and he goes, I feel peace. Thank you so much. I stand up, we force the door open, he walks out, I walk out, I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger at the end of uh, one of those, you know, my shirt's like just barely hanging on, it's ripped, it's blood running down the side of my face, scratches all over my face. I'm like, um. <laughs> my manager stand there, he goes, you look like, I go, He's like, help. I go, man, why didn't you help me? He goes, oh, man, I didn't want to interrupt what you were doing. That was my first deliverance. I, I, wait a second. Let me be clear. He didn't get delivered. He got repossessed over and over again. But, um, yeah, about my fifth one was the girl who jumped up and kicked me in the ribs. cracked four of my ribs. She turned out to be the two-time woman's world karate champion. True story. She did get free, but... You ever have your ribs cracked before? You can't breathe deep. So she was being held down by five guys, six guys, and I said, let her go, let her go. She jumped up, kicked me. I'm like, oh, slow down. Stand up, please. Let me pray for you. I'm over my time. Oh. 
I recognize Jesus. <laughs> I've heard about Paul. And I know about you. Lord, I just release that over every person. That they would be famous in heaven and feared in hell. Amen.